0: The 90s were not a very successful era for the Seahawks as a franchise, but that doesn't mean they didn't have plenty of star power on both sides of the football. In honor of the new throwback uniforms, Nick Lee and I are going to be ditching out our top 10 players from the 90s in Seahawks history on a new episode of Locked On Seahawks.
1: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle
0: Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, twelve. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joining me for our latest Blue Friday installment, my co-host Nick Lee, and a special thanks to all the twelves out there. Whether you're listening from Fort Collins, Colorado or you're listening overseas in New Zealand, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're getting closer to training camp just five days away from the start of the 2023 season. We are going to be continuing our forecast Friday series. We've got Geno Smith and Jamal Adams, two of the most important players for the Seahawks, heading into this 2023 season, we're going to continue our emoji edition. Love them or leave them with defensive undrafted free agents and much more. It's a jam-packed Blue Friday episode coming your way. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Earlier this week, the Seahawks finally, after years of waiting, unveiled their 90s throwback era uniforms. Now there's truly a 90s era theme in the city of Seattle. Everybody's pretending it's the 1990s and rightfully so because we talked about on Wednesday those uniforms as Bobby Wagner put so perfectly are very fire. They did them perfectly, perfect execution revealing them with the 90s bedroom, the Walkman, the old school television, everything that was in that room the Seahawks did well and that got us thinking Nick with this 90s fever in the Pacific Northwest Let's go back to the 1990s for the Seahawks. Now, let's not talk about the records they had because that would make this a depressing episode, but there were still some really good players on the Seahawks in the 1990s. So we decided to put ourselves to the test and put together a top 10 players in Seahawks history from the 90s. And this is just strictly the 90s. So Hall of Famers that only played in the 80s, we're not gonna be talking about them in this segment. It's all about the 90s. What did you do for the Seahawks from 1990 to 1999? So Nick, I know that this was a little tougher assignment for you. I was only, I mean, I was around for the 90s, but I only watched live about half of them because I was barely old enough to understand football. But still, I've gone back and I've watched a ton of these guys, watched old games. Feel like I'm pretty prepared for this, but we're going to be looking at all pros, Pro Bowls, stats, other things of that nature, how important they were to the team. How does your top 10 list shake out for Seahawk players from the 90s?
1: Well, I gotta say, Corbin, I am a little intimidated by this, um, and I'll just be up front. I grew up in San Diego. I grew up a Chargers fan as a, as a kid, um, until they broke my heart, of course, and moved to that stupid town up north. And you know, moving here, I, I, I was a true twelfth. I married a Seahawk girl. We got married right around the C- when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. So I've really had a late start. So some of this history, I feel a little bit intimidated, and I'm sure people will uh, disagree with my list. But I did the best I could with some stats and you know, the old film I've watched a little bit. So I'm going to start you know, going from 10 to 1. Um, Daryl Williams, I have a 10, um, just a, a fine, fine safety. And I don't know how much you want to break down each one, but he had 20 interceptions uh, between 1996 and 1999, which is pretty impressive. And I had Walter Jones at 9. So before you get all the, the pitchforks out, um, he was a Hall of Famer mostly for his work in the 2000s. So yeah. Walter Jones really, I mean, he kind of laid the foundation in in the few years he played in the 90s. Um, but if we're we're cutting that the time period off in 1999, um, sure he was a top 10 player, um, Pro Bowler. I think it was in '98 or '99. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely in in the mix for sure. Warren Moon, I got an eight. Uh, fine quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, in well into his 40s, uh, which is impressive. He was even playing um, at the back then. You know, so the the stats were a little, uh, you know, they weren't they weren't video game numbers for for the Seahawks, but still pretty impressive considering. The, the team he had around him and, and you know his age, and Joey Galloway I have at seven, you know one of the more dynamic receivers the Seahawks had you know pre uh, millennium change, and thirty seven receiving touchdowns and I actually had Brian Blades ahead of him, um, only because he had uh, just about a thousand more yards or over you know almost fourteen hundred more yards receiving, um, and almost double the receptions or maybe not almost double but. Uh, a significant a number more of receptions than Joey Galloway. So he had his years of production three thousand yard seasons, I believe in in the 90s as well. So I have him, Brian blades ahead of him. Chad Brown at five, and that might be too low, honestly. Um, he is the only first team all pro the best of my research voted for the Seahawks in the 1990s besides Cortez Kennedy. so he he's really he's there's a, I think there's a big gap between five and the rest. and Eugene Robinson at four. Um, you know, second interceptions, back-to-back Pro Bowls, that 1993 was insane. Nine, nine interceptions, love the NFL. Michael Sinclair, second in franchise sacks, I believe a half sacks he had in 1998. I believe that is still a single-season franchise record, if I'm not mistaken. Three straight, pole, three straight Pro Bowls. Um, Chris Warren, of course, is the, was the franchise leader in rushing, for, um, you know, second now, three straight Pro Bowls. And then, of course, we have to end with Cortez Kennedy himself, And number one. I don't really think that's much of a debate. But uh, I know our list is a little different, and I went a little bit different ways. I considered some Pro Bowls and All-Pro Votes um, over some stats. I did weight approximate value a little bit as well, that pro football reference. uh, Cortez Kennedy, number five, all-time, that list. Eugene Robinson actually was number two um, in 90s players uh, for approximate value. So I might have ranked him a little too low. But that's my list. Corbin, what you got?
0: Yeah, mine's pretty similar in some regards, and Cortez Kennedy was the Seahawks in the 90s. He's got to be at number one. I mean, we're talking about a guy that won defensive player of the year in 1992 for a two-win football team. That just doesn't happen. You have to be beyond dominant to get noticed that way, but he was 14 and a half sacks that year, and that defense was pretty good. If the Seahawks would have had even a marginal starting quarterback, they'd probably win eight or nine games. Might be a playoff team. That's how much not having a quarterback impact to that team. They had a lot of really good defensive players. Eugene Robinson was on that squad as well. I have Chris Warren in there at number two. And this one I was torn on because Eugene Robinson was ridiculous from 1990 to 1995. 28 interceptions, almost 600 tackles, seven forced fumbles. But he only got voted to two Pro Bowls and one All-Pro team. Chris Warren behind Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith was the third best running back in terms of yardage from 1992 to 1995. Three Pro Bowls, two All-Pro selections, so I've got to put him at number two with Eugene Robinson behind him at number three. Now, number four on my list, I've got Michael Sinclair. You had those two, Robinson and Sinclair, flipped. Sinclair never got onto an All-Pro squad, so that really was the difference maker for me with this one. So I had Sinclair at number 40, and I had a really good run there for three years, 41 and a half sacks. Robinson, to me, was just a bit more of a dominant player in the 90s for the Seahawks. And i got Walter Jones higher than you. And I know that he only made one Pro Bowl in his three years that he played in the 90s. But he also played for some teams that were not very good at the end of the 90s. And it was obvious from day one that Walter Jones was a special tackle. And so even though the Pro Bowls aren't there... I've got to have him at number five because he still was one of the best players that the Seahawks have had. And looking at the rest of my list, I've got Chad Brown at number six. He had the all-pro first-team selection, a couple of Pro Bowls, very productive, 19-and-a-half sacks as an outside linebacker. Joey Galloway may the biggest surprise here. I considered Brian Blades, and I know raw stats. He's got better stats than what Joey Galloway did as a receiver. But Joey Galloway didn't play in as many games. He still had 3,000-yard seasons. He rushed for over 300 yards. And oh, by the way, he returned four punts for touchdowns. And that really was the deciding factor for me, the special teams aspect. Even though he was never voted to a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro team, uh, he was a guy that absolutely deserved to be on this list in my mind with what he did on special teams. And again, both those guys didn't play on very good teams. You can make arguments for all of them. And closing out my list, I actually have Darrell Williams at number eight. Because he had eight interceptions in a season that he made to Pro Bowl. He was second team all pro selection. You could have made an argument he was a first team caliber safety that year. Fantastic year. And he just stuffed the stat sheet his four years in Seattle. And for my last two, Warren Moon, he was a Pro Bowler in his first year in Seattle at the age of 40, which is remarkable. Especially for that era. This is not Tom Brady's era for a 40-year-old quarterback back then to still be playing well. He got MVP of the Pro Bowl when it still mattered to players. So uh, it was a big season for him. And at number 10 on my list, I got to have a fullback. John L. Williams, over 2,000 rushing yards and over 2,000 receiving yards in four seasons in the 90s, two Pro Bowls. I mean, we're talking about a fullback. Even in the early 90s, that's pretty darn impressive numbers from that position. So I've got John L. Williams sneaking in there over Brian Blades. Blades would have been my next player that I picked on that list and like Galloway he was hurt by playing with some poor quarterbacks at times during his tenure with the Seahawks coming up next we're going to continue our forecast Friday we've got Geno Smith and Jamal Adams to cap things off as we head into trading camp we're going to look at their 2022 seasons in review that might be pretty quick with one of those players and then we're going to be looking at forecasts for the upcoming season what we expect from Geno Smith and Jamal Adams don't go away you're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're prepping for a draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So with draft prep underway for the upcoming season, let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit fantasy picks of the week looking to make a smooth turn in fantasy football snake drafts with the last pick in the first round first pick in the second round catch initial spark for your roster by revving up with two elite nfc east wide receivers cowboys CeeDee lamb and eagles a.j brown a letter perfect guaranteed early fit Count on Lamb driving Dak Prescott at Dallas' new-look passing game to big numbers, and Brown revving up Jalen Hurts' downfield throwing once again in Philadelphia. With eBay guaranteed fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Air fillers, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternators, shock, struct, you name it, eBay Motors has it and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay Guaranteed Fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. So go for switch gears, crank the AC and say goodbye to sweating and if your eye needs a little fixing up because now you'll know you'll always be set for success from the get-go with eBay Guaranteed Fit, everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look for the green check. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices. ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's episode by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks, your first listen. Five days a week for everydayers coming up on Monday. We're going to be getting to the key questions, the key storylines on offense. Going into training camp will only be three days away from the festivities beginning at the VMAC. You won't want to miss it. I hope you'll be listening in. It's time for our final forecast Friday of the offseason. At this point, we've tackled almost all the key players for the Seahawks on offense and defense. And now we've got two of the most important players to cap things off. Geno Smith, who was number one in our 90-man countdown, and Jamal Adams, a player the Seahawks are certainly counting on to rebound from an injury. Let's start, Nick, with Geno Smith. And being the quarterback, we have talked about him tons this offseason, coming off the magical comeback player of the year season, where he led the league in completion percentage, finished fourth in touchdown passes. Really a remarkable year. Broke Russell Wilson's single-season passing yardage record as well. Ran the ball well when the Seahawks needed to. Really was one of the best seasons by a quarterback in the NFL a year ago. And of course, that leads to the question, even with the new contract in play, can he do it again? Is he going to be able to put up similar numbers? Can he exceed those numbers and earn a bunch of escalators on that new contract? But before we get to future projections, I want to take a moment just to revisit that season last year, because even me, I was more optimistic than most people. I thought Geno Smith was going to win the starting job and have a decent year. I didn't think he was going to do what he did last season across the board, and it really was one of the most surprising seasons by a quarterback that we've ever seen.
1: Yeah, certainly in Seattle. I mean, he, he was efficient. He led the NFL in completion rates, top five in, in, in QB rating. I think he was sixth in QBR, uh, ESPN's metric, and just really across the board as far as you know, with the arm and with his leg. I mean, he, he was one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL last year, which. I certainly didn't see coming. Um, I, I was pretty down last year on him, and you know, going into it, I just I, I thought that the quarterback situation was was a little uh, dire last year with just you know Smith and Drew Locke. And I'm so so glad um, that that he didn't write me back <laughs> and didn't write lots of other back. He, he's he's still working and, and still you know he's he's validating that. And last year was was incredible. He was efficient for the most part. And just to review on you know some of the stuff. That maybe he there's room to grow. Certainly there's room to grow, with him. And what, what was usually his problem before he arrived in Seattle, and even some games during his tenure in Seattle so far, the turnovers. He, he does he does have some turnover, you know, bonehead kind of decisions that that you don't really you know, you'd expect better of him, uh, with the kind of caliber play he has. He has some some a high number of turnover worthy plays. Um, that's something that sank him with the Jets certainly. Um, he's a guy also that can take the sack and he had 46 sacks last year. Some of that, of course, is on the offensive line, but some of that is on him as well. So yeah, if, as far as projecting, you know, for the season to come, you know, based on his numbers last year or uh, last season, like I said, I think it was a couple days ago, I would be pretty hard pressed for him to repeat exactly what happened last year, because first he's not sneaking up on anybody. He has now got a target squarely on his back. Um, some of that could be a good thing, but he is not going to surprise anyone. They have a book on him now in the NFL, uh, in a Seahawks in a Seahawks system. So I, I, it might be a little harder to some repeat some of those numbers, but um, there, there's more talent around him, especially on the offensive line as well. So you could, I, I still expect a top ten quarterback in Geno Smith, top twelve, you know, certainly in the efficiency rating. So is he going to? get all the Patrick Mahomes, you know, love and adoration, um, you know, the the highlight reel throws and stats, probably not. Um, but he can quietly still be, I truly believe, a top 10 quarterback in this
0: league. Yeah, I think with what the Seahawks have done with their personnel around him, and we, again, we did talk about this earlier this week, and I think that you and I are going to have similar stances today. Nothing's changed in the last couple of days. I'd be surprised if he doesn't approach the numbers from Last season, because of what they put around him, Jackson Smith and Jigba joining DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, the tight ends they have, the running game they have. I expect the offensive line overall is going to be better than last year's group. There's certainly some things on his end he's going to have to clean up. The turnover issues late in the season, that's the one concern I have. Is he going to be able to get back to what he did the first eight or nine games last year where he was so efficient, not turning the football over? And he did benefit sometimes from luck. There were a lot of turnover-worthy plays that didn't turn into turnovers. That rate jumped way up in the second half. So can he cut down on those poor decisions, those poor throws? That ended up hurting him in the second half of the season, and I think that you're going to see some improvements in that regard, just from the personnel. I expect the passing yards is going to be pretty similar because the weapons that got around him. the completion rate getting back to 69.8 percent, I think, is going to be really tricky for the Seahawks quarterback to do. Touchdowns is where I think we're going to see him further uh, st- take his step, uh, take his game a step further. Because last year through 30, but that was without the presence of Jackson Smith and Jigbutton. I just think that's going to be a huge difference maker for everybody else in this passing game. I think the passing rating is going to be very similar to a year ago. And he might not have to run the ball quite as much, which I think is a good thing for Geno Smith. Because this is not a, I mean, he's mobile, but this is not a Russell Wilson type dual threat quarterback. He is a pocket passer and he wants to carve you up. The running has got to be something he does when it absolutely has to, and I think that the offensive line is going to allow him to be able to do that more often, which means less rushing opportunities. He'll extend plays when he needs to, but there's a lot of reason to be excited, and I think there's some reason to be cautious a little bit going into this year, even with the contract, just because of the fact there aren't many quarterbacks that did what Geno Smith did last year in NFL history. They're hoping he's like Rich Gannon and just continues his ascent in 2023. Now let's go to a player who, unfortunately, we did not get to see play more than a quarter of action last year. And that's Jamal Adams gets hurt in the season opener, torn quad tendon. And I'll stand by what I have said the entire off season. I thought Jamal Adams in that one quarter, the Seahawks used him as well as they have at any point during his three years with the team. And so I was especially bummed when he went down, Pressuring Russell Wilson in the pocket, forcing a third down incompletion, forcing a punt, and then limped off the field with that quad injury. I was as bummed as anybody because it felt like last year was going to be a season where everything was going to come together, that Clint Hurt was going to know how to use him. And that injury put the Seahawks in a tough spot, Nick, because I think they had prepared a lot of their defensive schematics around what Jamal Adams is going to be able to do. And they had to try to adapt that again, as they did the year before when Adam missed five games at the end of the year with a shoulder injury. It all comes down to durability. When he's been healthy, he has been a difference maker. Maybe not as much as fans were hoping for, but he has still been a very good player. He was an all-pro selection his first year with the team, so there's still a lot there. But when you've got this many injuries, especially this latest one, uh, it makes it tricky when you're looking at future projections and what the Seahawks can expect from it. Yeah, I mean, all last
1: offseason – the, the biggest narrative besides of course the russell Wilson thing um, was what are they going to do with Jamal Adams like how, how can Clint hurts use him at, to the best of, of his abilities you know optimize his strengths you know and, and maybe hide more of his weaknesses and if you just look at the pro football focus he was batting a <laughs> thousand in that first quarter as far as pressures or sorry pass rushing snaps versus quarterback pressures he had one pass rushing snap. And he had one pressure, so in um, that pressure of Russell Wilson, so he was batting a thousand. And in that brief time, he was. And I just looking a breakdown. I know we're kind of making a huge thing out of one quarter of play, um, which is a little silly. But he had 15 snaps. Uh, six were run defense, eight were coverage, and one was pass rush. I think that's a great split. I, I think he's underrated a little bit in coverage. I think he's there's some there's some uh, improvement there for sure. And you know, of course, he's going to get his in the run game and the pass rushing game, and I think that's a decent split for him. And I'm not going to, you know, pound the table. He's just uh, blitz boy, as they call that. They call him sometimes. Um, that's more of a derogatory uh, to what he is, and that's 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 just a fraction of his game. But I thought that was a pretty good you know, indication of what he can do. Um, so yeah, of course, it, it's a it's impossible to forecast the 2023 season with him. How explosive can he be? How 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 much can he recover? We've seen um, in in all sports. I mean, you saw like Ronald Kony Jr. in, in baseball take a whole season really to get back to after that knee injury to get back to being so explosive and in football. You know, Jimmy Graham, remember that uh, where it it took a little bit to get him where he was playing, but he wasn't you know that explosive for a long time. So you wonder how Jamal Adams can can hit the ground running and become and still be that explosive. You know, dynamic playmaker that he is on defense from week one. I, I have a hard time believing that. Um, I know he's a, an an elite athlete, um, but I, I do. I, it's cause for pause at least to start the year um, to forecast what he could do uh, with, with with all that stuff that he ha- he's had to heal up.
0: Yeah, it's really tricky because of the injury he is coming off of. There is a track record of guys struggling to make it back from that injury. Now, there have been plenty of examples of guys who have bounced back and looked like their pre-injury selves. But this is one of the tougher injuries to return from, and it's a rare injury. It doesn't happen a lot. You don't see a lot of guys suffer this injury. So there's not a lot of evidence out there to work off of, especially in the NFL. This is a very rare injury in the NFL. You don't see a lot of torn quad tendons. It just doesn't happen often, and Jamal Adams, unfortunately, suffered that, a non-contact injury last year, rushing after Russell Wilson. So without seeing him on the practice field yet, it's really tricky. The only thing we can do projections-wise is we have to look back at what Jamal Adams did before these injuries the last couple of years have really wreaked havoc on his game and prevented him from making the impact Seattle hoped for, and trying to model what those stats might look like, especially with what we anticipate Clint Hurd is going to do with this defense and so for me both years he's been healthy or at least fairly healthy he's been in the 80s for tackles I would be confident that he's going to get in that range if he played in all 17 games and I know that's a big if with Jamal Adams but we do not account for injuries with these projections on any of these players and I think a mid-ground in sacks he's not going to go after nine and a half like he did a couple of years back but I could see him getting four and a half five sacks for the Seahawks being not a blitz boy, but using him some in, in packages where he's going after the quarterback. And 21 pressures, that's not as many as he had his first year, but it's a solid number for a safety to be able to pick up. Interceptions have been very hit and miss in his career, so I think it's a safe assumption that he's going to get one, maybe two. Tackles for a loss, you expect he's going to be up there in the box more than most safeties he's going to get those opportunities he's forced fumbles consistently in his career and really aside from his rookie year when he gave up six touchdowns in coverage for the jets most years he's given up one or two in coverage so you would be safe to assume he's probably going to be in that range, giving up a couple of scores this year. Seattle would be really happy if that's all they gave up in 17 games with him playing the safety position. So again, that is based off of past stats from Jamal Adams, what you would project now if he played in all 17 games, but he is clearly the biggest question mark for the Seahawks from an injury standpoint on the defensive side of the football. Jordan Brooks, even I feel like the Seahawks have a better idea what they're going to get there. Jamal Adams, we just don't know what we're going to see until camp starts next week. All right, let's flip the gears now. We are going to be playing a game to wrap up a Blue Friday episode. Last week, we busted out the emojis with undrafted free agents on offense. A little bit of love them or leave them. We're going to do the same thing today, but on the defensive side. we got five defensive undrafted rookies we're going to be looking at, and we can only pick up to two of them to make the 53-man roster. So we'll be doing it with emojis and some fun analysis coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. For every day. everydayers coming up on Monday, we've got the key questions, the key storylines on offense for the Seahawks heading into training camp. We will be within three days from the start of the festivities. You'll want to make sure you're joining us to get ready for the first open training camp practice hope you'll be tuning in let's get to our undrafted free agency love them or leave them on the defensive side of the football nick we had so much fun with this last week it's you know we decided let's do the same thing this week with defensive players and who's more fitting to start off with than maybe the most intriguing undrafted player the seahawks brought in on defense jonah tavai was one of the most productive players in college football in the last two years he had more than 20 tackles for loss. He had nearly 20 sacks for San Diego State. Not a guy that's going to blow you away with his athletic testing. He's 5'10", 280. He doesn't look like a typical NFL defensive lineman yet. He was so productive in college. And he played well against some really good competition with San Diego State. that You just wonder why this guy wasn't getting a little bit more buzz and where he's going to mix in for the Seahawks heading into this season.
1: Yeah, as far as you know, passing out roses, we made that joke last week. Um, he gets more to mine, easy. Uh, he just reminds me. I, I brought him. I brought this up last time we, I talked to him about him. A guy I knew on my football team who was just super undersized was played nose tackle because he was an all-state wrestler, and he just made plays as a nose tackle. He would fight. He would fight guys that you know were hundred pounds, his his uh, you know, bigger than him, you know, several inches taller than him, and he would just beat him. He would find ways to beat him, hand fight, you know, leverage low center of gravity. And so I'm gonna go as far as emojis with a tree trunk for our tree emoji for him because he's a tree trunk. I know it might be a little cliche, but it's he's got that low center of gravity. He's he's tough to move as trees and trees and you know stumps are. And that's a great thing. I, I really, really like where he's at, especially with where the Seahawks are out in the interior defensive line. I think he has a real good shot. And, you know, if he performs in, in the preseason, I just he's just one of those guys that's easy to root for just because although I'm five, nine, two fifty, you know, a, a guy like him is, is, is easy to root for for a guy with my physique um, or he's probably got a little bit more muscle than me. But still, uh, I'm going to go tree just because he, he's hard to move. He's at that tree trunk. And um, I like his, his consistently. He's always there.
0: Yeah, for me, I'm going to go – I couldn't put a Tasmanian devil because they don't have that emoji, but I just put a devil for it. And, yeah, i got to put the devil on because he – just the way that he spins around and gets in between gaps and just wreaks havoc like a tornado. I mean, when he gets done, he's got bodies flying all over the place, linemen lunging trying to block him. He's blowing up guys in the backfield. He just plays with that kind of reckless abandon, that quickness, that penetrating ability. So he is going to get one of my roses as well. Now, if people listen to our podcast on Thursday, if Shelby Harris ends up coming back to the Seahawks, as I projected, I think Tobias is going to have a very difficult time making this team. But with the depth chart as it currently stands, I think Tobias has got an excellent chance to make this football team with his game-wrecking ability that he brings to the nose tackle position. And he is tougher to move than people would think because he's short and stocky, makes up for that 280-pound frame because he's, again, like you said, built like a tree trunk. But I see a Tasmanian devil the way that he plays the game, uh, just not out of control necessarily, but he plays the game so quick like a tornado. And it's really fun to watch when he gets rolling. Up next, staying on the defensive line, MJ Anderson was a little bit of – a late bloomer, didn't put up many numbers at Minnesota. He transfers to Iowa State, only had three sacks, but still had a pretty impressive season for the Cyclones a year ago. A more traditional three-tech build at around 275, 280 pounds that the Seahawks must have been enamored by because they gave him the biggest signing bonus of any of their undrafted rookies. So there's a lot to like about him. Nick, when I, when I watched his film, Actually, I I thought of the workman-like presence and immediately thought, this guy's like a construction worker. He's going to get the job done for you, but there's nothing flashy about the way he gets it done. Maybe he's not going to get a ton of sacks, but he'll get a decent number of pressures for you. I think at least from a developmental perspective, I think he's going to have a hard time making this football team. But I think as a practice squad guy, he could develop into a rotational NFL defensive lineman because I do see that construction worker, that work ethic, the ability to get the job done, even if he doesn't do it in any flashy way.
1: Yeah, I went in a similar vein with that. I did a clock emoji because uh, he's a throwback. He's a throwback guy. Turn back the clock. Um, there are some times where he went in like a four-point stance. Um, he's he's pretty. He's not very polished, but he just gritty. Get gets the job done. And you know the the Minnesota Iowa State's. You know two kind of blue-collar. Uh, programs. And so just, I like the throwback. So yeah, kind of very similar vibe. Um, You know, I have, I'm I'm not going to give him a rose, but uh, I just like the style.
0: Yeah. He's certainly a player that I think has a chance to be a fun developmental prospect for the Seahawks. Another one that I think you could check that box off for, maybe the most accomplished player on this list aside from Tavai is Patrick O'Connell, the linebacker coming from Montana. And He actually had a season a couple of years ago where he had double digit sacks and they played him some off the edge. He played off ball linebacker. He's played all over the place. He's a smaller linebacker, around 230 pounds. So I don't know that he can rush off the edge in the NFL, but Shaquin Griffin did it at 220 for the Seahawks and had a little bit of success. So maybe there's a place for him there. But Kind of a poor man's Drew Sanders, who was the prospect coming out of Arkansas this year that we liked as a potential high-round draft pick for the Seahawks. He doesn't have the size that Sanders does, but very similar in the sense that he gets in the backfield, he creates a lot of havoc. So for me with Patrick O'Connell, I actually put wizard as my emoji because you wonder how a guy at that size, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see he's not a big dude, but for him to get the sacks and the pressures that he gets off the edge and then be able to drop back, he picks off passes, he can play coverage, he's a tough run defender. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades wizard at that size. And so he is one that intrigues me. I'm not going to give him a rose just because Bobby Wagner, Devin Bush, I think Jordan Brooks is going to be healthy, Vi Jones, John Radigan. he's going to be really hard for an undrafted player. But he's another one in the future that I could see playing significant snaps for the Seahawks potentially. Yeah, and I'm going to go
1: with the trophy emoji. Um, mostly because you know he like you said he he's not he's not going to be the, the the flashiest you know toolsy guy on, on the field um, but he has the accolades he's got the all conference he's got the stats he's got pretty much any accolade you want at linebacker so I, i'm going to go with the trophy just because he, he's just yeah that, that's what he's got going for him he doesn't have much else as far as you know that physical freakiness but he's got he, he's got it where it counts and that's accolades and production
0: Yeah, he somehow got the job done, and those kind of guys have had some success in Seattle in the past, players that maybe are overlooked because they don't have the right size, they don't have the right measurables, and yet they find ways to get it done. On the other end of the spectrum, Lance Boykin, the corner coming out of Coastal Carolina, you want to talk about a guy that looks like he was made by Pete Carroll on a Madden video game. Lance Boykin is definitely that kind of player. He's 6'3", a little over 200 pounds, really long arms. I mean, he looks like the prototypical outside corner that Pete Carroll has desired throughout his entire time in Seattle. And I put a seedling as my emoji because not because I think he's going to get bigger. That's I don't think he's going to be six four or six five in a couple of years. But this is a player that is still growing and developing at the position. And he started his college career at Old Dominion, didn't play a ton of snaps. He's played plenty of special teams though. This is a guy that Pete Carroll is going to be excited to get his hands on to try to develop. So I see him as a seedling that in time, maybe he could find his way onto the roster for the Seahawks.
1: For me, this was a pretty low hanging fruit. <laughs> the spider emoji, um, just daddy long legs. You know, the long, like you said, it created from from Pete Carroll's creative player uh, laboratory. So yes, the Spider-Man, long legs, long long arms, just the 6'3". I mean, just the typical guy that, that, that Pete Carroll covets. And, you know, drools over at the at, at cornerback position. Um, so, yeah, the physical traits are there. Not really going to – not ready to give him a rose. That cornerback room is pretty crowded right now. Um, but you, you just like those physical tools.
0: Certainly a player that could develop it. And he's really a good special teams guy. So that's something to keep a close eye on because we've seen players like that sneak onto the roster or they've gotten promoted for a few games as practice squad guys. So maybe Boykin ends up being one of those players and then a year or two from now If a couple of these other corners that are on the roster or elsewhere, he might be a guy that can play his way into a reserve role behind Devin Witherspoon and reek woolen and coming in last year, maybe the second most intriguing player on this list in terms of potential to make this football team, Jonathan Sutherland from Penn state didn't start many games for the Nittany Lions, but one of just two players in school history to be a four year captain that says, a lot about what this young man brings to the table from a leadership standpoint. He can play in the box. He had a really impressive pro day workout. Didn't have the stats necessarily, but you watch the games and he always jumped out with positive plays. And so for me, I decided to go with a safety pin for his emoji because I could see him being a guy, especially if Jamal Adams, we talked about earlier, if he's not quite right at the beginning of the season. This is a guy that can play that box lighter linebacker role he did it at Penn State he's kind of got some Ryan Neal in his game a different body type but he plays with a similar fire and similar strengths and so he might be that safety pin for you if you need somebody else that can play some reps like that at the beginning of the season while you're waiting for Jamal Adams to get back
1: yeah I like the Ryan Neal comp uh, I went with a diamond it's supposed to be like a red diamond like a like a diamond or ace of diamonds kind of thing an ace, whether a special teams ace, diamond in the rough, however you want to kind of interpret that, because you know, he he's got a good head on his shoulders. He was everywhere for Penn State, and he you could certainly you know put your talk you could talk yourself into having a guy like him on the roster. So if I was going to give a second rose, it would be the Sutherland because of that versatility, that special teams ability, you can put them all over the field. And yes, the the questions um, beyond you know Quadraint Digs and and, Ju- and Julian Love. And, you know, with with uh, Jamal Adams, health at, at question right now, um, he's certainly a guy that should throw his hat in the ring and see what happens, especially, you know, make himself valuable in special teams. So I'm going to go. He's a potential special teams ace.
0: This is going to sound really heartless, but I'm going to have him rent a rose. That's how I'm going to do this, because until we know that Jamal Adams is back, I want him to be ready to be on the roster. But if Jamal Adams is healthy, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, we just don't have enough room here for you on this bachelor pad. So anyway, I'm going to rent a rose out to him. I think he's certainly a guy that has a chance just because of some of the logistics there at that safety position, some of the uncertainty that we are seeing heading into training camp. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51 Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on Monday, we're going to kick our training camp preview into overdrive. Key topics, key storylines on offense heading into Wednesday's first open practice at the VMAC. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thanks for listening. Go Hawks.